Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. And now, this brings me to the wonderful honor and, pri- and privilege of being able to formally introduce today's guest co-host. And I have to tell you, I'm super excited about today's show because this is someone that I admire deeply. She has become a dear friend and we are connecting in so many ways. And I am just glad to be able to have her on the show to share all of her great insights. And so like I normally do, I'm going to read her bio because I want all of you to have the understanding of the accolades, the credentials, you know, the lived experiences that she shows up to these conversations with. And I'm going to certainly extend that opportunity for you to know that right now. So we're talking about none other than Natasha Bowman. Recognized as a LinkedIn top voice for workplace mental health, a top 30 global guru for management and top 200 voices in leadership, Natasha is a highly regarded for her expertise in diagnosing workplace issues and providing proving solutions. Her ability to craft highly engaged cultures that truly value every employee's contribution has earned her the nickname, the workplace doctor. As the president of the Natasha Bowman Consulting Group, formerly Performance Renew, Natasha has served clients such as the 4As, Forbes, Hearst Magazines, and RGA. She brings a wealth of cross-sector experience and intellectual commitment to her work. She also serves as an adjunct professor of human resources at the prestigious institution, including Georgetown University, Fordham University, Manhattan College, and the Jack Welch Management Institute. Natasha's impact extends beyond consulting and teaching. She is a sought-after international keynote speaker, sharing her passion for creating positive and engaging workplaces at global organizations such as TEDx, the HR Congress in Nice, France, Microsoft, Google, TripAdvisor, LinkedIn, and Oracle, just to name a few. Her expertise is regularly featured in national publications such as Forbes, Business Insider, U.S. News, and The World Report, The Wall Street Journal, Fortune and Forbes, again, just to name a few. As a three-time best-selling author, Natasha's latest book, Crazy AF, How to Go from Being Burnt Out, Unmotivated, and Unhappy to Reclaiming Your Mental Health at Work, became an Amazon number one bestseller in 2023. Committed to promoting workplace equity and mental wellness, she is also the co-founder of the Bowman Foundation for Workplace Equity and Mental Wellness and a board member at NAMI NYC. Y'all know what to do if you've been here before. I want you to go find those emojis, find those accolades, those words of affirmation and welcome and help me to extend a very warm welcome to my friend, um, a wonderful, wonderful practitioner that does so much work around um, wellness and well-being. And so I cannot wait for you to be in communication with her. I'm going to add her to the spotlight right now. And um, I have to tell you that I am so honored that we have this chance to connect today. But my dear friend, Natasha, has COVID 
And I gave her every opportunity to say, no, 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 no. I want to back out. I really did. I told her, we will understand. My community will understand. We will invite you back. And she said, no, Nika, I've been waiting for this. I feel good enough to be able to have this conversation. And so I want to, at the top of the hour, let you all know that I've given her the opportunity that at any point in time, if she needs to step away to take care of self, honor the needs of her body, even cut it short today, that we are all supportive of that. And we're just grateful that you are here with us to share. And so while Welcome, my friend. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank I want to give you a chance. Thank you. As long as my voice holds up, then I will be <laughs> there. So please excuse the raspiness. I kind of mm. felt like Phoebe Fute Boutte on Friends when she had the raspy <laughs> voice and she loved it, you know. So, <laughs> but as my voice holds up, I will, um, I'll make it through. But thank you so much. Mm. And I've been waiting for this for far too long to let something like <laughs> COVID get in the way. So. <laughs> oh, well, you look great. You sound great. The raspiness is, is, you sound wonderful. So do not worry about that at all. And um, I want to give you a chance to greet this audience kind of in yeah. your own way. Um, but one of the things that we do here, Natasha, which is tradition, is we asked all of our guest co-hosts after we've read their accolades, their credentials, and um, we've shared a little bit more about their experience. We asked them to then dig deep, to maybe share something with this community that we would not know from reading your bio or looking at your profile. Now I'm gonna preface this before I let you jump in, Natasha, because if you follow Natasha, if you know anything about Natasha, one of the ways that she shows up consistently is as her true authentic self. When I tell you that she is such an open book and that has been a gift and a blessing to so many people that I know probably it's going to be hard for her to find something perhaps that she has not really shared or socialized at all. So we'll just kind of give her a little bit of a pass by saying maybe you haven't socialized it in a while. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I was thinking when you asked that, you know, what don't I talk about? And I'll talk about this. Uh, I spend most of my Saturdays, especially during this season up until last week, I am an avid college football fan. Like I'm from Alabama <laughs> originally. And so if you're from the South, you know, football is yeah, everything. Um, it is. Although I'm in New York now, I have remained consistent um, about my, uh, you know, dedication to college football. So I watch it from 11 a.m. or when the games start until late in the evening when they're done on the West Coast on Saturday. So I have missed weddings. I have missed funerals because it was during a, 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 a football season. Football season, everybody knows in my family, do not disturb, do not play anything. Uh, so anyway, so that's something I don't talk about a lot. And it just really is the top of my head because I'm a big Alabama fan. Nick Saban just announced his retirement. Uh, so, you know, we're very sad about that in Alabama world, not to mention not making it to the you know championship. But um, anyway, so that's top of head, something I don't talk about a lot. But you can always find me on Saturdays, college football season in front of the TV going absolutely bananas people have called my house to make sure that everything is okay <laughs> I love that I love that I love that and you know and, and lucky for us that you know intentional conversations happens on Fridays yes. 11 12 not during the, the football you know time so I'm um, so glad that that was not a conflict for us but no I love that about you that is so great so thank you so much so I do want to jump right in because I think there's going to be so much opportunity for you to share um, with this audience um, much of your knowledge that's really going to be useful but one of the things that we value um, in intentional conversations is just kind of leaning in at the beginning around um, any type of situations that have found its way into the, you know, the, the, the media for the week. 
And last week, I know we were grieving and we still continue to grieve the news of Dr. Gay's um, resignation from Harvard. Yes. And while we're continuing to grieve that, I think that many of us were kind of hoping for a little bit of a reprieve to really be able to sit with that for a while. And then this week, just as recent as yesterday, there's um, news of um, Dr. Bailey, the Vice President of Student Affairs at Lincoln University, Missouri, who um, died by um, suicide. And um, it was reported to be because of bullying and severe mistreatment of her and her role. Those of you who haven't been privy to the story. This is a black woman, and she was at an institution where the president is a white male. And um, we that's that's hard. It's hard coming off of the heels of the news that we're still kind of navigating and dealing with. And then to um this week to be exposed to this news. It is is so heartbreaking. And I just want to leave space and time for um Natasha, you and I, and even this community to just kind of um, process together what's coming up for us, um, how we're feeling, and um, and just hold space for all the myriad of ways that people are kind of navigating news such as this, particularly for um, Black women. Yes. Um, so I just want to yield to you. What's coming up for you, yeah, Natasha? I'm just, right now, I just have chills and goosebumps um, hearing that news, um, as you said, trying to recover and uh, from Dr. Gay's, what I see as a forced resignation. And there was so much conversation around that. And I posted after that resignation, um, you know, that she did the right thing by resigning because her life was at risk. And I knew that because I too am a suicide attempt survivor. Um, and, um, so I understand the pressures of workplace and life, especially as a black woman. And, um, I've been talking about this, you know, for, for some years now and to, to read this news, uh, today, it was, is just absolutely heartbreaking and reading the circumstances, but I mean, we know this is a story that is developing we don't have all the news. In fact, you just shared new news with me. I did not realize because I'm just, like I said, I've been under the weather. So I haven't mm -hmm. really been online as much as I usually um, am. And I didn't know, realize the president was a white male, but that's an HBCU. Mm -hmm. So when I think about the fact that she probably thought that being a professor at an HBCU, at least she wouldn't have some of the psychological stressors that many of us face um, when we are in predominantly white spaces and um, mm. makes it just even more heartbreaking to know um, coming from a family of graduates, including my husband of HBCUs, my father, I mean, almost everyone I know um, attended an HBCU and shared that experience of that safety there. And um, to know that, um, she probably, and again, I don't have a lot of information, we're still learning, but just to uh, pontificate that she probably thought that, yes, I'm in a safe space and giving back to my community and being able, um, you know, to, to, to be at an HBCU um, and, and to face what I've already read, you know, it's with such a toxic work environment. And from what I understand is that she disclosed she had previous um, struggles with her mental health and after her disclosure um, was when the toxicity elevated and again that continues to reign true to me if you read my book um, I talk about my experience of yeah. 
being the head of HR at a psychiatric hospital um, when I attempted suicide and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So I didn't have the choice of whether or not I was going to disclose because when I'm brought into the emergency room, I'm brought into my hospital and admitted into my hospital. So my leadership team, right, knew before even I knew, you know, that I was in the hospital. I woke up in that hospital. And um, after I returned to work, um, I was faced with, you would think it would be such a good environment. My boss was a psychiatrist, a leading psychiatrist in the nation. And um, you would think, oh, understands there's no stigma. And definitely wasn't the case. Um, And I too ended up leaving um, a year after my return, after escalating, went from a top performer, went to, you know, all these things, all these accolades to when I came back, they didn't even trust me to be in my position by myself. Mm -hmm. I had to share my position with someone else because they assumed that I would not able to perform only because I had now a diagnosis, a diagnosis I had been living with unknowingly for the previous 20 years before then had accomplished, accomplished all of these things. So um, we we just continue to face um, these struggles. And um, when you try to do the right thing and disclose and get support and to hear that once again, that an organization has failed someone to this degree, it's just very, very disheartening. Yeah, incredibly disheartening. And so thank you for sharing your thoughts on it. I, 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 I'm still, I'm still processing. And, and to your point, yes, I, I did fact check the information regarding the president of the university. And so um, it, it's, it's interesting dynamics, you know, it, it really truly is. And uh, it's just, it's, it saddens me that we are seeing such an increase. And, and this, you know, this has been happening for quite some time in terms of workplace trauma being the experiences of black women, but I think that um, more recently we have seen, at least more reportedly, it has come forth information that has been fatal in many instances. Um, and so it just makes it um, makes it harder to kind of d- deal with and to process. Um, one of the things I do want to draw attention to is as I was sharing the story about um, um, the, Dr. Bailey, um, I said that she died by suicide. And I just want to draw attention to the significance of that language because I have, you know, I learn every single day in this space. And this is why I tell people all the time. It doesn't matter if you've been, you know, 20 plus year practitioner in this work or not, we all need to have ourselves in this posture of always learning. But, you know, there was a time that language would would be committed suicide. And now the shift is, which I am, you know, being a lot more cognizant of to use, is died by suicide. And I like that it places greater value on the mental health issues that sometimes people don't necessarily um, relate to being, um, you know, reasons for someone to to do something of that nature, right? And so I I think it creates a great opportunity for us just to talk about how how you know the landscape around just that broad conversation has shifted and. A lot of it has to do with the evolution of mental health issues and how we're becoming much more educated about them. And I won't say it's been normalized, but definitely it has come a long way. You know, the stigma is starting to diminish a little bit. People are talking about it more openly and readily. Um, and so I just want to give you a chance, Natasha, to just share your thoughts on, on how yes. the importance of language and the shifts yeah, of language absolutely. has taken place. You're right. We are constantly learning and even I learned something. So I know I did note that you, you know, said, 
the, the right thing about dying by suicide rather than commit because that's something throughout yeah. 40 something years of living that, you know, we had always stated, um, and yeah, you're not committing a crime. It feels like yes. you did something wrong. And yes. if you, I also said that I am a suicide attempt survivor because mm-hmm. I'd always think of myself as a suicide survivor. And someone sent me a note and said, you can't survive suicide. And ah. I'm, you're absolutely correct. You're right. And so they gave me the proper language and I've been using that ever since. And so, you yeah. know, it's a learning process and it's yeah. okay, you know, to accept that feedback. And even if you think you're an expert or you've been labeled an expert in that field, um, to, to, to learn and grow and shift your perspectives and, and, and embrace them. So that language definitely, um, matters. And, um, and, and thank you for bringing that to the atten- attention to the, yeah. um, that are listening here today. No, I appreciate that. And this, this, you're right. That's 100% correct. Yes, you cannot um, survive suicide. So yeah, language matters. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, this leads me to wanting just to socialize around why. I mean, obviously you shared your story. So, you know, it's, it's often our personal experiences that connects us to maybe the niche and the work and the messaging platform that we will align ourselves with. But out, outside of your personal experiences, you also have a legal background. And yeah. so I just want you to share with this community kind of your journey to where you are today yeah. and, and how all those different stops have really helped to shape where you have planted yourself today. Yes, absolutely. You know, you talk about my vulnerability, you know, and the reason I share that vulnerability because my path here has been uh, not a straight line. It hasn't been an easy path. And um, so I I did go to law school um, at the University of Arkansas. And, you know, I share that I went to law school as a single mother. My son's first day of kindergarten was my first day of law school. And we were 10 hours away from anyone um, that we knew. But um, uh, I, I got married while I was in law school, had my second child while I was in law school and graduated. And then I worked for uh, Walmart Stores Incorporated in their legal department. And that was during a time where Walmart, you would hear unfair, you know, labor practices and all of that. Yeah. It was the only, you know, organization you would hear about. It was during that time. And they decided to start a department within their HR um, space uh, to address those concerns. So I shifted from uh, legal to HR. This was very, very, maybe a month after graduating from law school and being in the legal department. <laughs> so stayed in HR, stayed in corporate, and then they um, transferred me to the field where this is how I ended up in New York. I was the head of HR for the stores here. Um, and uh, so I loved, unexpectedly, I loved New York and uh, and decided to stay and went from there to, to healthcare, being the head of HR at several healthcare organizations. I started my consulting firm while I worked full time. And that's something that a lot of people don't know. That's another thing a lot of people don't know unless you've read my book is that um, although you have seen me in the consulting and speaking space for for many, many years now, um, I worked a full-time job along with that for many years. And so so, uh, I, I was the head of HR for healthcare organizations while running my consulting and speaking firm at the same time, and then went full time and been doing the professorship for about a decade um, as well. And so along those along that road, right, I've been the, the first and only in the C-suite organizations. Um, it is, uh, you know, it's it, it's been quite a, a journey. And mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, and, I, and I've tried to share everyone, every, every path of that journey so that people don't see me and think, oh, you've had, you know, a C-suite position, you yeah. own a 
done all these things that, you know, and, and obviously there's been a great path and such as, no, like it, it has not been <laughs> an experience, especially with my mental health crisis in 2020. Uh, so many things along the way. And it's so important um, that I send a message that not only can you, you know, to, you can navigate through these things, you know, yeah. and not alone. And, um, and many of the things that you're experiencing today, I've been through, others have been through. So I don't only share my story, but the stories of others' career journeys, just to give people hope. Cause some days you just feel hopeful. Right? You Absolutely. know, I try to give people as much hope as I can that whatever you're facing today, and it may seem like you're in the worst circumstance that you could possibly be in. I've believed that at some point and many points during my career journey as well. And I have found a way to overcome that. There, there is, there, there's hope on the other side. And you're such a great model for that story. And I think that's why so many people are really endeared to your style, your approach, your content. I mean, if you don't not, if you do not follow Natasha Bowman on LinkedIn, y'all, she has like over a hundred thousand um, followers and connections and she's been on Oprah. She has LinkedIn learning court. There's so much more that I can share with you that didn't find its way into the, you know, the opening kind of reading of her bio and credentials. But, um, and I think it says something about, how people are craving authenticity. They're craving being able to have people um, vulnerably share some of their real life experiences as a way to illustrate that they also can, can you know, certainly have hope and can change their situations as well. So I want to talk a little bit about your book right now. I actually have a couple, a couple copies of your book, <laughs> and um, it is it is really really a great read. And um, I want you just to share with us. I want you all to get the book. So I'm not going to have Natasha to kind of give you all the tidbits, but I'm going to have her share a little bit of a flavor of like what you can look forward to if you currently do not yeah. have the book. Again, it's crazy AF. And um, so maybe just share one or two key insights or strategies from the book that you have heard maybe from a lot of your readers really resonated with them and really they found to be impactful. Yes. And thank you so much. I will say you were the very first person that got the book, I believe. You were at least the first person to get it and post it. So thank you for your support and, and, and <laughs> helping that to, to catapult that to the to the bestseller. Uh, but, you know, just to clarify the title, by the way, if you think it's too provocative, it's crazy. And the AF stands for and fearless. Uh, so <laughs> sure that, uh, people know that. And we also just to go to the term crazy, you know, we've been told, you know, go, to going back to language, like, you know, we shouldn't refer to people as crazy and you're right mm -hmm. but I see, I see I'm using crazy as an action or a verb and not mm -hmm. describe myself so when it, we talk about be you know doing crazy things in terms of action in the book it's about you know looking being being able to step outside of ourselves and our career mm -hmm. and determining am is this career serving me right? Am I serving myself? Is it time for me to reevaluate my relationship with my profession? And I start out uh, with, with my personal journey. And one of the reasons that I had a mental health crisis was that during COVID, when everything was put on pause and um, I didn't have my speaking engagements and clients, and those were things that were mm. near to me. I was still the head of HR at the hospital, but believe it or not, during uh, the pandemic, nobody was really doing anything bad. You know, I, I didn't have anything for 
from an HR perspective to do, especially at a hospital, it was very clinically focused. So for the they first- They weren't interacting as much. People were like, no, what's no, happening sexual harassment. Do I do what I right. So we were, and I was in New York. So we were literally just trying to stay alive, you know, in this yes. health. Yes. So um, with that, for the first thing, I, for the first time in my life in many decades, I didn't have anything to do. And my identity had been so tied to my professional success. Uh. That was a trigger. Who am I without my profession? And yeah. so, um, I think many people, especially in marginalized communities, um, women, we make that connection, right? It's our professional success goes on to define who we are. And so um, based upon my personal journey of okay. That and how it did impact my mental health. Um, you know, I encourage people to take a look at their relationship with their job, with their profession, mm -hmm. workplace, and you know, really look at is this serving me? Is this serving yeah. my health? Am I having the conversations I need to have with others? Am I having the conversations I need to have with myself? Right. Um, I talk about these instances that we have experienced lately with Dr. Gay and, and, and knowing those warning signs of when it's time to plan your exit strategy out of the organization, yes. right? Which I think is essential. And being in the HR chair for so many years, I know those warning signs. Like I yeah. know like <laughs> that organization, when that target is on your back, it's not going to move, you know, so you need to start planning your exit strategy. Don't get caught off guard. So I give those kind of tips. Mm -hmm. And I also um, have chapters in there for organizations on how they can cultivate cultures of mental wellness. And the thought being that if from an individual perspective, if we're having those uncomfortable conversations about some of those psychological stressors that are impacting the way that we work. And on the other hand, if organizational leaders are equipped with the things they need to know to avoid those psychological factors and put intervention methods in place, that perhaps at the end of the day, we can cultivate cultures of mental well-being. Yes. So quick question about that. Um, Natasha's, you know, kind of evaluation. How do you think? corporate America is doing right now around supporting the mental health needs of employees? I think, like you said, um, we're, we've made a step or two um, mm -hmm. in terms of corporate America. We are having conversations. I was so honored last year to be invited to so many organizations to share my story. So many organizations adopted the book. That was exciting, right? That um, people are, that organizations are willing to have the conversations. They're also providing more access to mental health resources, realizing that EAP or even health, right. health insurance is not enough. You've got to supplement mm -mm. Things, right? Because people, just because I have medical insurance does not mean that there is a practitioner available for me to take advantage of that. So I'm so glad to see that. But when I'm hearing the stories of like your Dr. Bailey's and in, in the, in the DMs <laughs> that I'm getting, um, or is that being realized, right? We're talking about it, but are we walking the wall? Because I'm still hearing far too often, yeah, I'm sharing my mental health struggles or I'm bringing out some of these uh, cultural um, environmental factors that are impacting not just my mental health, but the mental health of the um, organization. And we're not seeing action being taken around that. And so wow. until organizations, access is great and, you know, and, and providing supplemental, but until we start to, organizations rather, start to really reevaluate and take actions on their culture. We're not yeah. 
move the needle forward. I can get all the therapy that I can get, but if I walk into a toxic work environment, right, right. then that that's not helpful to me, right? So I'm not seeing the needle moving forward. In fact, we're seeing it move backwards in many cases. We're seeing so many DEI programs that are being eliminated, people yes. in DEI positions that are being eliminated, um, uh, the, 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 the budgets being cut back, et cetera, et cetera. That's not moving the, the needle forward, right? Mm -hmm. And impacting the, the, the cycle. You know, we're, we're seeing top leaders such as Elon Musk saying, what is this? It's harmful, it's racist. So when you're right. seeing these things, you're thinking, is my leader thinking this way? Will my organization be next? So until we address that cultural piece, I can't 100% say, oh yeah, I think we're moving the needle forward because we're talking about it. Because we saw a lot of talking in 2020 and we thought we saw action, but that action has proven to be very temporary in many cases right. on behalf of the organizations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well stated. So, so much more needs to be done. And I'm glad that you're one of the individuals that continues to keep this message very much top of mind for, for all of our organizational leaders. So I'm a Black woman. You're a Black woman, Natasha. And we also happen to be a part of a Black women's um, mastermind group where we really are supporting each other around just being founders and, and being in similar spaces. And so I am familiar with how frequently that group will socialize around some of the, the, the stresses of of just kind of navigating as as a black woman. So I would love for you just to share a little bit about um, what unique psychological stresses have you observed and how do you address them in your consulting work as you're helping yes. people to navigate those situations? Yes. yes. So the uniqueness is, you know, really what we have been reading about, uh, you know, lately in some of these high profile incidents, right? And um, the uniqueness is that we can uh, retain the same credentials, qualifications, and education as our counterparts, but we find ourselves in a unique struggle for those uh, certain credentials and qualifications to be acknowledged and valued. We find that bar consistently being moved up, right? I see so many people, especially Black women and men, who are chasing degrees and certifications because they think, well, if I just do this, if I just do that, but I feel like there is no bar, right? And um, there's just always this proven accomplishment thing that uh, that we're facing. And then you seem to have the world in many in many ways that are, are ruling against you, right? So right. when you do get that covenant, oh, I'm the first this, or like, like in the Dr. Gay scenario, I'm the first this, and you have people saying, oh, well, you only got that position because of some sort of initiative, ignoring the fact that she checks with you, look at the qualifications for that job and the previous people that held them, she has the same qualifications, but yet there was this, oh, she only was in that position due to some sort of initiative, right? So you're facing that as well, right? Where again, I, I meet it, but yet people are rooting against me and then they're finding things to disqualify me, right? Right. Or particular story was not unique or new to me. I, I write about those stories in my book that I published last mm -hmm, year. Mm -hmm. I've heard it in my work so, so much. And I remember sitting at the head of HR um, at organizations and for whatever reason, someone would have a target on their back. I remember one particular instance at one of the healthcare organizations. And I noticed that all the write-ups in the nursing department were for people of color. And this mm -hmm. was after a year. And somehow I'm just noticing and I'm like, I'm sitting in the grievance. There was a labor organization. So they would grieve and grieve. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the people that are sitting across the, the table from me. And I'm like, 
you mean to tell me that there are no time attendance issues or anything else with any of our white nurses? I mean, like it's only um, our nurses of color that have issues, it was especially with time and attendance. And so I escalated to the chief nursing officer and said, I think you have a problem within your nursing leadership because I'm you. a trend here, you know, and I went back and double checked and said, I'm not trying to go after anyone, but there hasn't been one white nurse that's been written up in a year and several um, uh, people of color. And so I'm just going to run a time and attendance report. You can do that from one of the systems just to see, you know, if I'm wrong, come to find out. Yes. So it's, oh, I couldn't get you for this. So I'm going to go check this to see, oh yeah, I got you on something. And I'm going to continue to go after you on something. So, you know, I had to bring that to the attention. We had to address that. Some of it was just unintentional, you know, and some of it mm -hmm. we believe to be intentional. So mm -hmm. th th there is this, um, so many different things that are happening um, that is leading up to this systemic racism, whether it is intentional, yes. unintentional, it's just there. People still believe that people should not be in certain positions. And sometimes it's not racism, it's placism, right? You've got to mm -hmm. have a within this organization. And once you start to rise up, I've got a problem with that. You were my superstar until, right? Until. And so um, I face that as well, especially I would keep my speaking engagements um, secret and consulting secret, even though my job was doing well. I knew that was an issue. One time I went and blocked 10,000 people on LinkedIn that worked for that organization so they wouldn't see what I was doing. Wow. Because and the moment that somebody found out, it became an issue, right? And so I'm like, how are you doing this? Oh, I'm spending my every vacation day. I'm spending my every this day, my, you know, my lunch time. That's my time. If I want to yes. stop my lunch break and do a training, what's wrong with that? You know, and so it just became, you know, an issue. And I'm, I'm seeing that those are the consistent stories that I continue to hear that are, that are just what I like to say unique to Black people and, and other people of color. Absolutely. So we will shift momentarily to take questions and comments from our audience. And so I just want to let you know that if you're interested in being added to the spotlight and presenting your question live to Natasha, I will give you a chance to do so momentarily. If you're part of the Zoom community, you can let us know that you are interested in that by using the raise hand feature that at the appropriate time I will call on you. If you're on LinkedIn Live, you can place your questions into the chat area or the comment section rather. And my team is watching that closely and we'll bring that over into this um, Zoom chat. And so multiple ways to participate. While you're percolating on maybe curiosities that are surfacing for you, I'm going to go to my next question. And really, this is more of um, a response to, to the insight that you just shared. I mean, I heard a lot of the pet to threat phenomenon that we know is really real as you were talking you know, through um, those, those stories that you shared. But what I'm also very cognizant of right now is this um, notion of the power and the burden of being the first, right? And I find that we often celebrate the first, you know, the first Black president, the first Black mayor, the first Black whatever, right? And sometimes I, I grieve for a moment, even when I am also, because I believe in the both and, you know, I can really celebrate and feel happy that now we're seeing the first, but there's a part of me that also feels like, oh, I really do hope that their experience is not going to cause them distress. I really hope that their experience is not going to cause them mental health. I mean, you know, issues. And mm -hmm. so that, that's real. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just wanted to toss that out there and see what kind of response maybe comes up for you as you think about that. I mean, I think being the first has a lot of power. 
but it also can be a burden. And I think that sometimes as a society, we are quick to judge when someone decides that maybe they have become the first, so they are the trailblazer, but then they say no longer, I, I don't want to stay, you know, on this, on this course. It's not for me. And I think that there's something to be said for us allowing those individuals to assess their personal situation and make a call based upon whatever type of emotional capacity they feel like they have. I don't blame a Dr. Gay. I don't blame anyone that may decide, you know what, I'm backing out. Um, and so what are your thoughts on that? Oh, Natasha? absolutely. And I got messages and comments um, when I said I applauded her for, for leaving and that said, no, we, she should have fought. She should have stayed there and we should have fought for her. And I 100% disagree with that. People have to make an individual decision. We cannot assess someone's emotional or psychological capacity based upon what we are seeing on the outside. There will be more that will be probably shared, perhaps, um, even though I've heard enough, but we, we have no idea what was happening on the outside. She was getting death threats, you know, yes. Over, yes. uh, and, and over and, and, and what she says is plagiarism, which most people have never even read a dissertation before. And yet they were talking about plagiarism. I'm like, and I'm getting these messages about, I'm like, do you know what plagiarism is? I am a college professor. You're going to sit here and argue this with me. You know, and um, it and and it's it, it was disheartening. No, it, we should not. The moment that you decide that, hey, I'm choosing this job over my mental health. The moment you find it. yourself making that decision over and over again, you absolutely owe no one else anything but yourself. My theme for this year and what I've been telling people is to be more disappointing. And I know that's outside of the norm, but that that's my phrase of the year. That's my ideology for the year is to be more disappointing because I have compromised. And I know so many other people who have compromised their mental and physical uh, health because yeah. they didn't want to disappoint others. And at the end, the only person we are disappointing is ourselves, you know, and mm -hmm. I've shared on LinkedIn, even not just my mental health journey, but my physical health journey. And I found myself at one point in my career facing almost, you know, looking at almost weighing 300 pounds at one point and barely walking. One time we went to Disney World, my 70 some year old aunt had to push me around mm -hmm. Disney in a wheelchair because my health had to, my physical health had declined. I didn't even yeah. know my physical health was declining because at that point I'm, you know, in this corporate position, got the big check, the big title, everything that I had on my, you know, wish list and that dream board, that vision board, you know, that was tangible had achieved, but yet I was sick. And because it was sitting in cars for long commutes, you know, sitting in front of computers, missing time with my child. At one point, I share this in my keynotes, you know, is that, and maybe in the book, I can't remember if I share in the book or not. But at one point, when we first moved to, to the city, uh, my husband came out of his career to, to help me as my career was trajectory to be the primary caretaker, et cetera. And, you know, one day he asked me to take my child to school. I drove her to school and she says, mom, this is not my school. And I'm like, well, what school do you go to? I had no clue. <laughs> you know, so, yes, so yes. the state that I was in, I was consistently making these choices of putting my work over everything else because I didn't want to disappoint. Well, you know mm. what? I'm okay with being more disappointing. Yes, yeah. Okay. And yeah, I know that perhaps, you know, and just like you said today, I would be okay with disappointing you to, if I literally could not <laughs> have a conversation. I was going to be okay with that to, yeah, to tell yeah. 
just can't do it today. Yeah. And have done that before and been okay with it to say, look, I know you were depending on me, but unfortunately I'm not saying to not hold your commitments. I'm not saying to be selfish or not, but when you're consistently, you know, disappointed, worried about disappointing others, when you're disappointing yourself, that's when you've got to start making some decisions um, in your life. And when I started to do that last year, um, it has made such a significant difference in my mental health, my physical health. And along the way, believe it or not, I had the best year yet in my business and worked the least that I have in my in my career. No, you've, you've shared those stories with me. And so I think, again, you're giving people hope as you continue to socialize and with your um, vulnerability. So we do have a question from Michael Sinclair okay. that's part of our community today. And his question is, provided that you had to block people from seeing what you were doing, how did you deal with the kickback and animosity as a result of your actions to block others? Yeah, so um, they didn't know they were blocked until people would, uh, come new into the organization and they like, oh, you didn't touch them over from LinkedIn. They're like, oh, wait, you know, like, wait, what's going on here? So I finally had to unblock, like, oh, I don't know what happened. So I finally started unblocking me and they didn't say anything to me verbally, at least that they felt, you know, any animosity, you know, of not being um, accessible to me. But it proved after I started unblocking and people started having access I started to see a shift in behavior, right? All of a sudden, because yeah. you, they knew what I was doing, all of a sudden that became a problem. They started to want to um, even narrate, oh, you know what? I don't know if I would put that out there, you mm. know, down the organization. And I'm like, I don't even have this organization listed as my workplace. I never listed yes. it. So exactly. you don't know I work here. Nobody knows I work here, but me and you, you know, be in the organization. And so, but, but it was the, I got more kit back up after I allowed them access to my LinkedIn, um, than them not, than them being, you know, blocked that I know. Right. Of, you know, yeah. was verbally. Yeah. Articulated to me. Yeah, it just amplifies the scrutiny that often um, Black women are under in the workplace. Um, even if they are performing at a high level, you know, meeting all the marks, it's like, you know, again, that that kind of pet to threat. Well, she's doing all of that. Oh, whoa, you know. Yeah. So, and I, I, so I think it's important for us to be thoughtful about um, if we find ourselves kind of having some endeavors outside of maybe our workplace, how much of that do we want to be public knowledge, you know? And so there's something to be said about navigating that. I want to ask you about your um, your foundation. Mm -hmm. And um, specifically, I know that I, I was mentioning at the top of the hour that, of course, we are at this period of time where many communities and organizations are um, recognizing and honoring the legacy of Dr. King through different efforts and initiatives. And you have an event that's coming up on February the 1st that your foundation is putting on. So I would love for you to talk to us about the Bowman Foundation and specifically give us a preview of what to expect at the Black History Month um, event that's going to intersect also this mental health conversation. Yes. So tell us about that. Absolutely. So yes, Martin Luther King Day is coming up Monday, which just so happens to be my daughter's birthday. She uh, said that. <laughs> So hopefully yes. she'll be a freedom fighter as well. But um, but yes, we are. So I founded the Bowman Foundation for Workplace Equity and Mental Wellness after my mental health crisis and realizing that, again, I needed to do something to amplify um, uh, the, the message that the, there's a mental health crisis within the Black community. And as a Black woman who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, it was important to me after doing research and realizing I didn't see many faces that looked like mine that was publicly saying, I have a serious mental illness. 
So mm-hmm. being that person only at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to be that person to share my mental health. And I'm going to do something for those that are struggling like me to break the stigma. So my husband and I founded the Bowman Foundation for Workplace Equity and Mental Wellness um, and uh, as a nonprofit. And we are hosting this event to kick off Black History Month, because when I think about Black History Month, oftentimes we are having the same conversations, right? We're celebrating. Yeah our ancestors, we're celebrating civil rights leaders, et cetera, et cetera. But why don't we this month, in terms of Black history, think about how are we going to make a positive history for the future? Mm-hmm. And do that, right? We've got to address the current crisis. Absolutely. America, and that is our mental health. So we're hosting a free event. Please register. Absolutely free. Balancing Act, Black Professionals and Mental Health. We're going to be talking deeper into what we've talked about during this conversation about those current issues that we're facing as Black professionals at work. We're going to be talking about solutions as well um, as a path forward. I'm so honored to have speakers from places such as the Center for Disease Control, from the American Psychological Association, from Google, from Microsoft, um, that are going to be joining us um, in this conversation. So we've got all New York City um, Mental Health um, uh, Office of Mental Health will be there. So so many different faucets and and perspectives that will be contributing to that conversation. We're glad to host it free of charge. That's what we're doing is providing resources. We've got two white papers out there. That's what we're doing um, as part of our work. And um, and so we just hope to, to see you there so we can continue this conversation and, and go deeper into the things that we've talked about here with some uh, leading experts. Love that. Many thanks to you, your husband, and all of the other um, organizers and visionaries who are helping to bring this together. I think it's so needed, and I love that it's being centered in Black History Month. We did place the Bowman Foundation's website into the chat area and also the event link. Um, Again, it's free. You heard it here. It's free, so uh, make sure. Now, is this virtual or in person? Virtual. Virtual. It's virtual. Okay, virtual. It's three hours. You can jump in and out, do what you need to do, but no excuses not to be there. Share it out let's let's show people that we care about mental health in the black community yeah. the way you can do that is just to show up just to be a part show of and amplify a message you never know your message and who it reaches you know you'd be surprised and so therefore that if you don't have a financial contribution don't have that sharing out a link join a conversation that's a collective grassroots effort and that's what we're hoping to do through this ground yeah was to create a grassroots movement to address this critical issue. I love it. I love it. Um, and so as, as we're talking about um, mental health and particularly mental health as it relates to the Black community, you know, what are some of the maybe top two or three misconceptions that you feel like are floating out there right now that people can start maybe getting their heads wrapped around as they plan to register and attend yeah. again the Bowman Foundation's event coming up February 1st? <laughs> Yeah, so misconceptions in, in Black mental health. I think that going back to even my story that um, if you are a Black person and, and you struggle with your mental health, then you then you can't be successful. Even right. demonstrated it, right? The moment they find <laughs> out about that diagnosis. And unfortunately, it's not just for, for Black people. I mean, this is for anyone with a mental health condition. Yeah. But especially true, right? When you've already got that target, you've already got people rooting against you, right? That you're not able to function, right? Um, I think that's a that's a misconception. Um, trying to think of more. I think it's 
less about misconceptions and more about the particular unique challenges that are faced. If you yeah, don't mind, that's true. Here. No, absolutely. And, yes. Um, I think, you know, there's a huge stigma still in the black community mm-hmm. around mental health and even its very existence. And, um, you know, I got a lot of pushback um, that, you know, from my family, who's a Southern back family. And when I gave a diagnosis and it was, oh, you have this diet. No, you don't, you don't have bipolar disorder. You don't go to church. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's the, the intersectionality of the faith in the black community, yeah. uh, mental health. And that's something we have to address is that you can, and I had to tell even my own, one of my own parents this, because my sister was diagnosed with bipolar disorder years ago, and she's a very big person of faith. So I'm like, so how come my sister that goes to church every Sunday has the same diagnosis, has nothing to, to do with that. Right. But sometimes when a substitute, I'm not saying not to use your faith, not to pray or do all these things, but a lot, we've been advised to substitute, right. Um, yeah. for, for treatment. Right. And so that, yes. that's that we need to address within the, the, the black community, um, as well. That's just a big, you know, red herring around that yeah. around it. And also the last part is just don't share, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure, the black person, if you do disclose that you're struggling with your mental health. And I'm not saying that's not the, the case, right? But in my head, if I share with my employer that I'm struggling with my mental health and I start to see things that I don't want to work for that employer anyway, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Everyone is showing that they don't care about me as a person anyway, and I need to go move on anyway. So those are some of the things that we're going to be, you know, again, taking a deeper dive into that are very unique um, to the Black community and, um, and also that access, you know, the cultural competency of mental health professionals, um, um, that are that 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 are giving us treatment. I've shared the story, and it's in my book as well. Um, that along my path, um, I had someone that wasn't black that was a mental health professional that was assigned to me in the hospital, and um, I ideated suicide. Um, after that point, my husband called her, and you know was advised to take me to the hospital. He says, "Okay, we're we're on our way." I get a call back personally from my mental health professional that says, oh, I called uh, CPS and I called the police because she didn't trust. She had never seen a black man as a caregiver before. So she mm. didn't trust that he was going to get me to safety in a hospital and get my daughter mm. to safety. So, wow. you know, going to cultural competency, yes. that's issue that's being faced is when you're getting treatment for someone that doesn't understand the unique challenges that are being faced in the black community or doesn't see someone like, I mean, just as unique as a, a black male who's a caregiver of a family, right? Mm-hmm. So unique things there that we, we've got to have discussions and solutions for. Yeah, very unique nuance that I have not thought about specific to mental health and, and again, the, the caregivers of, of those who may be dealing with mental health issues and, and yeah, the believability factor. You know, I know we talk often about often how Black women are not um, believed, but in this case, you know, it was a Black man was not believed. And so, yeah, that's really interesting. I want to go back to something that you said as well when we were talking about the misconceptions. Um, yes, I just want to amplify what you said. I do think that there are a lot of individuals that feel like it's an either or. You can believe your creator to heal you and take medicine, you know, yes. <laughs> to yes. help your situation. Um, and then I also, yes, 
And then I also want to, um, you know, talk about this notion of not sharing. You know, I, I want to just show up very, very authentic to this conversation. There was a time that I was not willing to kind of share about because I just felt like I wanted to keep it close to the chest. That's personal for me. And I have found it to be very liberating to be open about um, my mental health, you know, challenges and, and the fact that I do believe in talk therapy. I do believe in the medicine. I do believe in talking about it with others. I do believe in, um, you know, I mean, sometimes our the greatest conversations that we have in my house is when we're talking about maybe our last experience with our, our therapy sessions, you know? So I think the more we can do that, especially as Black families, the more that we're going to see it become normalized. And I think that that is the gateway towards getting everyone the needed help. Because whether we realize it or not, every single one of us are going to find ourselves at some point in time or another really challenged um, and with mental health issues. And sometimes we don't even know what it looks like. So if nothing else, just get yourself educated about what it looks like right um so we don't know what it looks like yeah. anyway and there's there are a lot of people who are high functioning you know when we talk about the misconceptions that maybe they're not going to be competent once you release that information no get educated on this you know i know of a lot of people that are high functioning with a lot of different illnesses right it doesn't Absolutely. make it less of an illness or less of a of a situation that's that doesn't you know require attention so um, anyway, we have to do that. I, I just recently shared um, an email about the lows of 2023, the lowlights, and then I shared one followed up with the highlights of 2023. Yeah. But the the amount of attention and response through text and just feedback from the lowlights, you know, communication was was reaffirming to me that we have to talk more about this because people are thinking about it, they're dealing with it. So I mean, why not? Let's do it in community with each other. Yes. You know, I was so proud of you. Remember one of our earlier conversations? I, I was do. Yes, Dr. White, who are you? I want yes, you, to you did. You and said take the lens off. Yes, and yeah, you, you know. Beyond what you do, take that aside. Who are you? And that was so liberating to me. And I continue to think about that conversation. But um, but yeah, so I want to give you our last and final 60 seconds to close us out in whatever way that feels appropriate to you. But I want to first start by thanking you. Thank you for how you show up to the world because it is making a difference. I know I, I comment on almost every single one of your posts just to remind you of that. And when we talk, I, I verbalize it because I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to forget that. It is making a difference. And, and I just so appreciate the gift in you that you're willing to share for others. Um, it's not hard to put ourselves out there, right? And so thank you for that. Um, and thank you to this community for joining us. But please take a moment to close this out. Yeah, I just want to start by appreciating you for giving me this very safe space uh, to share my story. Sometimes it can be a very hurt, heavy burden to bear to be vulnerable on almost a, a daily basis. And um and but you know talking to people like you who not only on camera are supportive but you're just one of those ones that will check in that will amplify and again i am so gracious to you and our friendship and what you're doing mm -hmm. to have nonprofits <laughs> and you are doing the work and i just want to thank you for the work that you're doing and your support and everyone on this call that i that i hope to be within my circle as well um as we uh move forward so cool. i just want to start with i just want to end with this appreciation for you and the mm -hmm. person you are and it means so much to me your friendship and the work that you're doing uh means so much and i'm just so glad that you were brought into my life mm -hmm. okay. thank you so much have a great and safe weekend everyone hope to see you back next friday for intentional conversations